Welcome back to Redline, a millennial tale of passionate love in the combative workplace set in Boston. Hop on board for the next episode of Pia's Tale here on Redline. The next Redline train to Alewife is now arriving. Wyatt and Jeanette lived along the wide and peaceful Slocum's River that fed into Buzzards Bay. As we approached their house along a country road with the odd name of Rocco Dundee, Rod filled me in. This whole area is full of old farms, but they're getting subdivided. Wyatt bought his from the last descendant of a great whaling and banking family. Uh, I forget their name. But the old man was dying from alcoholism and had already sold off a few lots to relatives to support his last years. We turned into a woodsy dirt lane that soon crisscrossed other narrow tracks overgrown with weeds down the middle. We passed through open meadows and then an archway of trees. Rod pointed to an ivy-covered cottage. One of the cousins lives there. All shut in, reclusive, probably for a reason, like the family disease. I wonder what the relatives think of Wyatt and Jeanette coming in and taking over the family seat, I said as Rod steered the car into the sweeping front circle of a sprawling gray shingled house. What majesty! It had wings and gables and wraparound porches. It sat on a gentle knoll overlooking the picturesque river with its inviting dock for summer fun. I could feel the original family's long history in that romantic setting. Yeah, they must hate his guts. But it's not like any of them could have afforded it. They're all broke. They're probably thinking about the day when Wyatt buys them out. That's sad. It's life. Born into legacy, no motivation to work, just a party. That's not always true. As we got out of the car, Wyatt and Jeanette came out the front door to greet us. It was chilly, and Jeanette, a pretty blonde, hugged her arms for warmth. Wyatt was just the way Rod had described him. Pleasant, easygoing, with a bucktooth smile that gave him a bit of a donkey look. I can imagine him drinking beer with Rod and guffawing over guy jokes with that toothy smile. I had already heard the two of them on the phone. They talked with guy jocularity about motorcycles, their businesses, investments, wives, and girlfriends, and past escapades. Rod never joked with me that way. I wasn't the buddy type, and though I knew he didn't want me to be the buddy type, I liked that joshing side of him and wished we could be more carefree together. Wyatt and Rod hugged hello man-style, and afterward kept jabbing each other affectionately as they chatted, the new car an easy target. Why the f*** did you buy her a Subaru when I could have sold you a Toyota at cost? Ask Pia. What do you mean, ask me? I had nothing to do with buying the car. Except for being the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, I forgot about that. See, sweetie, there are a few things we can agree on. I thought he looked particularly adorable in that moment, flirting with me in front of his friend, so I went over and gave him a squeeze around the waist. You're my man. Forever he said pointedly. And a day. We kissed on it, an affectionate display for the Dows. So you two are still in the lovebird stage? That's really nice, Wyatt said. Savor it while you can, but I still don't get the Subaru. I got it to replace Pia's antique. It had to be the same model and color or I knew she'd refuse it, and it's ours, not Pia's. She's very independent. (laughs) He'll cure you of that, Wyatt laughed at me. Don't be too sure, Rod said. She's one tough filly to break. Rod! 
there I go again, saying the wrong thing. What I meant was it's like back in the old days when guys gave girls rings to go steady. That's the sentiment. I'm a guy, and I want to give my girl something to show my love and commitment. Right on, dude, and you were right. It's gotta be a car. (laughs) He aimed a black remote at the garage, and the left door slowly rolled up to reveal a polished indigo blue BMW sports car. I got this baby for Jeanette. Rod's head was shaking, his hands on his hips. Well, you certainly outclassed me, dude, as always. But on the other hand, I had to take Pia's politics into account. No way she'd let me spend like that. But nice car. Really nice. Rod's fingers touched the flank. Watch the fingerprints, Wyatt said with a goofy smile. I moved with Jeanette toward the house and said conversationally, Women want to give things, too. No kidding. I'm always online buying clothes for Wyatt, Jeanette nodded as she let us in. She reminded me of a Barbie doll with her cute face and blonde ponytail. Her dress style was preppy. Come on in. It's so much warmer in here. Let's have a glass of wine. Our reservation isn't till seven. A few minutes later, with goblets of wine, we separated by sex to chat. The men, old friends, stood by the living room fireplace and talked about Wyatt's renovations. The materials and prices, the work crews... From across the big open room, I could hear them respectfully competing in their knowledge of building and products. Jeanette and I settled on bar stools at the kitchen island and talked about family. Leaning forward, she said softly, Wyatt and I have been trying to have a baby for five years. We bought this place to raise a family, but every month nothing happens. Have you talked to a specialist? Yes, we're working with a fertility clinic and Providence. We'll probably end up with twins or triplets, but, you know, at this point, I'd welcome a ready-made family. Listening to her and feeling sympathetic, I couldn't help but think of Wyatt going to a massage parlor for hand jobs. You're probably just trying too hard. I know. Everyone tells me they know someone who finally adopted and then got pregnant the next day. But I want to try the fertility clinic first, and if that doesn't work, we can always adopt. Across the way, Wyatt's voice drew our attention, and we moved off the stools to join the men. This is the book I was telling you about, Wyatt was saying as he showed Rod a worn book. See, it's by D.E. Tucker, The History of Dartmouth's Quakers. He flipped to the back of the book. Look at all you Tuckers, hundreds of you. (laughs) Yep, but I never knew about Quaker Tuckers. Will you do now, Swifty? Swifty, I said. Oh yeah, that's his nickname, Swifty, for better or worse, Wyatt said, front teeth bobbing. Now hold on a minute, Rod began, but Wyatt gave him a push. What'd you think of the election, Swifty? We got good gains, huh? Screw the Dems, (laughs) haha. Well, Rod hedged. Personally, I agree with you, Wyatt went on. I'd like to see Scott Walker in the White House. The man gets things done. Scott Walker? I said, glaring at Rod. You mean you like him? Uh, Oh, I don't know. All my friends say he's a good guy. Real good, Wyatt grinned. He rides a Harley. Have you read his platform? Besides killing Wisconsin's collective bargaining, he wants to abolish affordable health care. And he's a white supremacist. Okay, Rod said, but it was too late to stop me. He defunded Planned Parenthood, and he supports guns. He's against every single thing that could actually help this messed up world. Wyatt butted in. Uh, it's amazing how politicians look different to different people. I see Walker is wanting to advance the economy. You mean for capitalists, which means policies that create more inequality, more poverty, more hardship for everyone else. 
Really? Uh, I didn't know that, Wyatt said. All I know is he supports the things I want to safeguard. Right, Swifty? Rod didn't dare answer. Hey, time to go, Jeanette said cheerfully and moved briskly to the hall closet for our jackets. I had that fuming feeling inside that was hard for me to put out. All I could think of was, how was I hanging out with a bunch of tea partyists? The car ride to the restaurant cleared the air, partly because Wyatt was so good at friendly conversation. How do you like the street name? He asked us. Rocco Dundee, I said from the back seat. I saw it when we drove in. Where did that come from? I asked the Historical Society the same question, Wyatt said, glancing at me in the rearview mirror, and was told that way back the whalers named it after an island in the Galapagos, Rock Redondo. They fished there and named it Rocky Dunder, and it was the furthest south of the islands, just like our road in Dartmouth. Awesome. I love names like that. Yeah, I love everything about living here. The whaling history is part of our everyday lives. I know what. You two have to come to our annual clam bake in July. We build a huge fire with stones on the bottom and cook the clams between mountains of seaweed. I mean, mountains. It's unbelievable. A humongous tarp goes over the whole thing. It fills with steam. That's what cooks the food. Corn, too. Oh my god, you wouldn't believe the aroma. It spreads for miles. Gets in your clothes and hair. I'd love to see it. Sign us up, Rod said. At the restaurant, we settled into a booth and ordered lobster. Rod at my side gave me a nudge with his shoulder. Hey, sweetie, I'm surprised you're eating lobster. I thought you would oppose the scalding water treatment. You're right, I do, so let's not talk about it. Wyatt swooped in, an expert host. So, Pia, I want to know about your painting. Do you only do portraits? Well, they're what I love most. Faces, expressions, color, technique. I saw your website. I really liked it. I like your work. I made her website, Rod said. You did? Good going, dude. Hey, maybe I'll commission a painting. But what I really want to know, Pia, is can an artist like you make a living selling their work? No, at least not now. I guess there's always hope. She wants to live in Boston, along the red line. Priciest choice. I was thinking maybe I should open a gallery, learn about selling art. I might like it. I like design, Rod said. Huh, that would be interesting, Wise said speculatively. The art market can be a big moneymaker if you know what you're doing. You need millions to operate. Rod didn't answer. I figured he was probably counting his cash worth and realizing he wasn't in that league. But I know how you like big challenges, bro. So go for it. I might even invest with you. The important thing is, I found Pia, and my life's been bliss ever since. <laughs> Same for you, Pia. Bliss? I mean, let's face it. Swifty's not the easiest guy to get along with for more than five minutes. Screw you, Dow. How many times have you been lucky enough to meet a beautiful woman and get to sleep with her the very next time you meet? Uh, God, Rod. Yeah, I take that back. I, I didn't mean it the way it sounded. <laughs> Always messing things up, Wyatt hee-hawed. The waiter brought our steaming food, and we clinked our wine glasses with a chorus of bon appetit. Believe me, I wasn't the one who messed up my past relationships, Rod said, with a loud crack of his lobster claw that squirted juice in every direction. Ooh, sorry about that. But you sure had to pay out for Andrea. And don't say I didn't tell you to get a prenup. I know you did, and you were right, but I was 22 and innocent. I didn't... 
It didn't seem like the gentlemanly thing to do, but I sure regret it now. I guess the bright side is you got rid of her, Wyatt said. Yeah, that was most important. I sat there feeling disturbed about how they talked about women. Women as commodities, women as bad people. Didn't Jeanette hear them? No, she was totally absorbed in her coleslaw. I could just hear Rod's voice denouncing me to Wyatt someday. That little vixen, what a gold digger. She managed to weasel a brand new car out of me. But I guess I was a sucker and I have to take my losses. And bottom line is, I got rid of her. Hey, Swifty, Benny and I are organizing a hunting trip right after Thanksgiving. You want to come? Nah, I don't hunt anymore. Since when, dude? Like yesterday? No, long time. Wyatt chortled and took a swig of wine. Remember our group house? Our den of total sin? How'd we do it, Swifty? I couldn't do it now. I guess it got too old. Yeah, the party never stopped. Whether I was home or in class, and sometimes I joined in, and sometimes I just shut my door and went to sleep like a normal person while the rest of you rocked on. Our neighbors hated us, didn't they? Wyatt grinned. Yep, but they couldn't get the police to shut us down. Remember that day when you shot that cat? (laughs) God, it woke up the whole street on Sunday morning. What cat? Horror stole over me. Rod stiffened at my side, his fork stuck in his baked potato. The moment was terribly tense, though Wyatt seemed unaware and chortled his way through the whole story, obviously a classic from their derelict days. We had this ugly, straggly stray living on our street. He was like a a raccoon and got into our trash can every day. He was hungry. I was already heartbroken for the poor cat. Yeah, but mainly he was a menace, Rod said. Hissing. Dangerous. Cats aren't that dangerous. Well, that Sunday morning was the last straw for Swifty. Woohoo! You woke us all up with your cursing. Then you got your Winchester, and you blew that motherfucker away. I was 20 years old, hungover from partying all night, and pissed as hell because I caught Billy making out with my girlfriend. I would never do something like that today. Never. So Rod had shot a cat. How could I possibly accept it? Rod turned to me with hooded eyes. That was a long time ago, and I regret it. I grew up to remember my own past mistakes, but nothing like blasting a starving cat from the face of the earth came to mind. Rod's hand on the booth seat tremulously covered mine, but I couldn't respond, nor could I recover a good mood for the rest of the evening. When we went to bed later that night, I knew that all the tangled things inside of me would somehow have to work themselves out if I ever hoped to continue with Rod. But the knots felt so tight that only sad tears rolled from my eyes as I lay on my back, my head on the pillow. Rod knew things were at a dangerous low, and he also knew it was up to him to talk first. His hand gingerly touched my face. Please don't cry, Pia. I feel awful. I know you do, but so do I. All that talk about money and how Andrea gouged you, I don't want to be talked about that way. I feel like a commodity. You're not a commodity, and I'm sorry if I hurt you. I won't talk about Andrea and money anymore. I want to be aware of your sensitive areas, and I see how that bothered you. I won't let this happen again. The truth is, you're bringing much more to our relationship than I am. I'm the one getting the better deal. But, but you don't see. Just talking about us like that as, as if we're some kind of deal is what upsets me. 
It's just the way I talk. And and your politics and Walker and the the, the cat. I feel shell-shocked. I know you do. And like I said, I totally regret the cat. And I'm not supporting Walker. And and the gun the way you told me before that that your dad had given it to you as an heirloom. It turns out you've had it at least since college. Maybe grammar school, and according to Wyatt, you still go hunting. No, I don't hunt. Since when? Since the last time? Uh, Okay, maybe a year ago, but I didn't like it. I don't like killing animals and birds. We agree on that. But nothing could console me. I felt all bruised inside. Maybe I was partly grieving for the end of my romantic dreams, my illusions. The word hick kept coming to my mind. Was I... Was I mixed up with a hick? Did his and Wyatt's bourgeois lifestyle hide a basic backwoods mentality? We lay on our backs in silence, but somehow our hands had folded together, as if clinging to something we both desperately still wanted. I have feelings too. Can I tell you what bothers me? I squeezed his hand in answer. Well, I like that you're an artist. I really admire that. But it bothers me that you might be seeing Charles without his clothes on, the way he obviously was looking at you, which also bothers me. I smiled in the darkness. His concern seemed so simple, so juvenile. I want to know, Pia, do you undress him in your mind? No. But I do see his body. I know his lines. And I admire him. Isn't that the same thing? No... I see his figure in clothes. It's actually his face I want to paint. I'm not interested in his body. And I want to know why it doesn't bother you that he painted you naked, and why you don't care how I feel about that. I'm sorry it bothers you, but you have to understand art and what it's all about. It's free. It it comes from the imagination and the unconscious. I was only his muse. The painting isn't really me. Yes, it is. He got you down exactly, your your sensuality. He knows it. That's what gets me. He has no right. He's 17. But he does have a right. He's an artist creating a work for others to appreciate. Anyway, I wouldn't worry about it. He's almost done, and that'll be the end of it. What should I pay him for it? He might not sell. Yeah, so we can get off on it every night. Good God! Don't be naive. Why do you think guys read Playboy? Do you? I have. Have you gone to Atlantic City for hand jobs? Never. That's gross. Why don't you offer him $500? I'll text him now. Don't! It's midnight. I'll, I'll talk to him on Monday. He quieted down, lost in thought for a moment. Then he said, So, just so I can be absolutely clear on this, you don't ever fantasize about Charles. My mind answered loudly. It screamed, Yes, Rod, if I were ten years younger, I'd have the biggest f***ing crush on him. I'd make a total fool of myself. He's too young, I said aloud. I can't think that way about younger men. All right. That's good. Thank you. His arm slid over me as he rolled on his side and nestled his face in the nook of my neck. I love you. We can always talk over our hard times. We can always make it better if we talk. He raised his head a little to look at me, and I could see his eyes and their tenderness. My hand stroked his black-red whiskers. My heart went out to him. He was so vulnerable and wanted nothing more than to be a good person. 
We kissed. Lover, I said, lightly touching his front teeth with my tongue. And then the starry, moonlit night just outside the window disappeared from my awareness as the cozy cover stirred with our human warmth. Thank you for listening to episode 11 of Redline. Redline is written by G.D. Spilsbury and narrated by Anna Gravel, directed and produced by Fred Greenhalge, with assistant producer Grace Waldron. Redline is dedicated to Jim Cantor and Brooke Lambert. If you've enjoyed this Redline story, please tell your friends about us and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Leaving reviews allows us to get more listeners, like yourself, so we can keep bringing you good stories. Learn more about Redline at redlinepodcast.com. That's redlinepodcast.com.